Welcome to the HR Empowerment Podcast, where we will uncover strategies and new insights from HR professionals who discuss up-to-date regulations, best practices, and the most pressing topics like diversity and equity, leadership, dealing with difficult situations, and much more that affect your bottom line and business. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Wendy Sellers, the HR lady here with JC. Good to see you all. Trust me, I'm not behind you. It's good to hear you, though. Well, it's good for you to hear me. Oh, my goodness. This isn't going well, Wendy. I might need to move to a different state. Let me tell you. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the best states for workers' rights. Um, I think you might actually be in one of them um, where I am not. <laughs> so JC is in New York and I'm in Florida. Uh, Florida doesn't do a heck of a lot to protect workers by law. I'm not saying the state doesn't protect workers, but we most of um, our in, our laws down here basically follow federal laws. And the federal laws are important, but they don't go above and beyond. And they're very hard to change in a, a federal law, which is why many states have just gone ahead and created their own laws for employers and employees. The state in which you live, it has a significant impact on how well you perform at work. As a result, a new map from U.S. News and World Report illustrates how labor-friendly the laws are in each of the 50 states, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the District of Columbia. Now, according to experts, National political and economic trends have made employers more powerful than workers over the last few decades. Even though the unemployment rate is low, the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of corporations and wages haven't kept up with inflation. That was true from the mid-2010s all the way till today. So look, in the absence of regulations granting workers protections and rights, state governments must enact some legislation along the way. California. Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Vermont are among the states with nearly full slates, making them among the friendliest to workers. Workers' rights laws are more common in states along the West and in the Northeast. Others have gone in the opposite direction, refusing to strengthen workers' rights and instead enacting legislation that weakens union power. Alabama, Idaho, Kansas, Mississippi, North Dakota, South Carolina, Texas, and Wyoming are declared the least friendly to workers. Employer-friendly laws are common, though, in the Southeast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, you know, the biggest thing I I judge, and I hate to use that word, but it, it's the truth. The biggest thing that I judge states by is their minimum wage. You know, so when um, you just follow the federal minimum wage, whew, that means you really don't want to get involved in anything because the federal minimum wage is, you know, pretty embarrassing. Uh, so many states have said, you know what, we're just going to create our own minimum wage laws above and beyond the federal minimum wage. Um, the federal minimum minimum wage today, eh, eh, $7.25. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And so many organizations have said no, or many states, I'm sorry, have said no, we're going to have to increase that a little bit. But, you know, even if you don't have a state minimum wage that is different than uh, the federal, if you as an organization don't go with market rate, you're not going to get good employees. You're lucky you're going to get any employees. 
You know, it's it's just the way it is because your competitors are going to get them, not you. There's an excellent resource out there, minimumwage.com. I I didn't say that word right. (laughs) Minimumwage.com. There we go. And it breaks down all the states and puts them into uh, the different categories and buckets for minimum wage and tipped wage. And it is interesting the way that this breaks down. Uh, You said 725 that hits the mark in Alabama. Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, and and many more along the way. When you get to New York, $13.20 an hour is the minimum wage. New Jersey is $13 an hour. What do you think it is in Hawaii, Wendy? Since I'm on that page, I know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, $10.10, $10.10 for the win out in Hawaii. Now, Tipped wage, could you explain this to me a little bit? We have minimum wage, and then you have tipped wage as as a standard metric there. What does tipped yeah. wage mean? So tipped wage, um, it's funny, you know, when I was in college, I was a waitress, and, you know, I, I got tips. I actually forgot about that wage, and every, every week or two weeks, we would get this little check, and it was kind of a joke because you're like, really? Um, so tip wage means you still have to pay uh, that person so in Florida, uh, the tip wage is $7.98 versus the minimum wage currently is 11 and that's going up every year until it hits 15. But do you have to pay them $7.98? And then if they don't get enough tips to make the difference, then you're supposed to make the difference up. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, the tip thing drives me crazy because so many other countries tips don't exist. You know, you, you're, you, the customer pay a pretty good uh, amount for your meal and then you get the check and you pay it and you walk away. The employer, the, the restaurant pays the full hourly rate of the employee. And, you know, when people come here to the United States, since I'm in Florida and we, we do, um, I was used to live in the Orlando area, so we had tourists all the time. A lot of tourists didn't know that you were supposed to tip. And so that's where some of the mandatory tips come. You know, if you see on your your, uh, receipt sometimes, it'll say, we automatically put 10% or 20% or whatever it might be. It's because so many tourists from other countries don't know that they're supposed to tip because it hasn't, it's something new to them. So the tipped part is there's a pro and the con. If you're a really, really, really good waitress or bartender, you can make way more money than you did if it was a regular hourly rate. But what if you are a good bartender, for example, but something like, I don't know, COVID happens and it's out of your control. Yeah. You know, then you're SOL. You're in a tough spot, tough spot. And especially when you start thinking about sick time too, you know. Currently, there's no federal legal requirements for paid sick leave. For companies subject to the Family and Medical Leave Act, FMLA, the act does require unpaid sick leave to a degree there. But although Federal Family and Medical Leave Act provides for the unpaid job-protected leaves of absence for serious health problems or even childbirth, many Americans don't have access to paid sick leave or family leave days. Paid leave policies, they've made the headlines due to increased bipartisan attention to the pressures that working women face in balancing their careers with culturally expected caregiving responsibilities. And while politicians debate these issues on a national level, some states, including Arizona, California, Connecticut, Washington, D.C., Maryland, 
Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oregon, Puerto Rico, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington have all mandated or require paid sick leave by the end of the last decade. So paid family leave is currently required in fewer states and territories across the United States, California, New Jersey, New York, Puerto Rico, Rhode Island. Uh, they're, they're, they've got some stuff cooking as well. Wendy, paid leave, it's, it's something state to state as well. It might drive people to move. From Florida Absolutely. to somewhere else, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's paid family leave, there's paid sick leave, and then there's even the school and parental leave now, too. A few states have that as well, where you have to allow parents to uh, take time off of work, and, and that time is protected, whether it's paid or not, is by the, by the state. But you have to allow them to take time after work, go handle their, their kids schooling, whatever, if there's an issue or they need to enroll them, whatever it might be. You know, a lot of these things, um, they should be in, again, in my opinion, especially when the fact that we're dealing with, I can't find employees, I can't find, you know, I can't keep people. Well, why don't you get some unique benefits going, even if you're not required to, um, why don't you not hold people accountable for your strict, um, absence policy because they went to enroll their child in kindergarten or they went to go talk to their child's teacher or they were dealing with a parent-in-law or you know um, a spouse or a child because they were sick or i don't know they had a surgery themselves. you can get in a lot a lot of trouble if your absence policy is so strict that you forgot to include in your absence policy exclusions and exceptions for these types of leaves. Um, I know many of my clients, we went above and above and beyond during the COVID era to say, let's just put that absence policy over here because I don't want your employees coming in thinking, I have to come in one more absence this month and I'm going to get fired. And here they turn out they have COVID and they've got yeah. just ended up getting your entire workforce sick. And now you have no employees coming in because of your strict absence policy. Interestingly, a 1963 federal law required equal pay for equal work, but Mississippi was the only state without its own law since Alabama enacted one in 2019. And here in 2022, Mississippi is set to become the final state putting equal pay laws into effect. I I just don't even understand that because the Equal Pay Act is a federal law that says regardless of your gender at that time, the gender was male or female, and that is what the wording of the law still is, you know, that if you're doing the same job, the the same effort, same knowledge, skills, and abilities, then you get paid the same. So I need to look into that one a little bit more (laughs) as well, because it certainly doesn't make sense. You have to follow the federal law. Yeah, a lot going on out there, different states. Wendy, if you could pick any state to move to and and work out of, would you leave where you are in Florida and go to somewhere else, or would you stay put right where you are? So just for the purpose of employment law, I'm not moving out of Florida, folks, but (laughs) just for the purpose of employment law, and if I was an employee, I would go to California uh, because California has so many protections for employer for employees. Now, 
since I've already worked in California as an employer, as an HR representative, I would not go to California. Um, but it, it really, you know, it, it, California has stepped up to the plate and said, you know what, and uh, federal government, you're not doing anything to protect employers, employees, or you're not doing enough. And companies, you're not doing enough. So we, as a government, we're going to do it. With that said, we also have a lot of costs that are involved in that. So that's something to be taken into consideration. Is, there, right, is so, there such a thing, though, as pro-employee versus pro-employer at the end of the day? Or, or do you think that it's just a matter of time till things normalize? Hmm, that's a good question. Let's talk about that in our episode five, which is coming up shortly. We're going to talk about what JC just asked, and we're also going to talk about how to stay on top of the laws that affect you, and more importantly, how to stay out of court and off Ooh. of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining the HR Empowerment Podcast, brought to you by Aurora Training Advantage. We hope you've gained new insight and strategies to navigate the HR profession. We look forward to you joining us again on the HR Empowerment Podcast.